Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside and on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here. We're uh, recording, as always, from the Santa Monica Studios and calling us in from Charleston, South Carolina, en route to the another great day of the Credit One Charleston Open, a member of the TC family, a tennis hall of famer, born on the 4th of July, and as uh, recently as a couple months ago, my neighbor now in the Brentwood area out here, Pam Shriver. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mitch, thanks for having me back. And I love that uh, you're going to be my company as I drive from downtown Charleston to one of the great tennis sites uh, in the country now at Daniel Island with their new stadium and everything. Yeah, the, I mean, we're going to get to how just amazing that, that new venue is and everything that has to do with that prestigious tournament. But uh, I do have to start with this. I was, I've was i been watching, as, uh, as all of us have, the, uh, the entire tournament, the rain-filled tournament uh, on the hard true clay. Uh, yesterday there was a ton of sirens going on, so just don't contribute to that and try to be safe because it's it's a it's a you know a little bit of a precious drive out there, so just be careful. It is. I'm gonna avoid. Um, there's a horse and buggy coming down the road <laughs> to me right now. Um, but you know Charleston, such a great historic small city in the southeast part of the United States, and it's kind of cool that the history of of women's tennis is being celebrated this week with a I was lucky enough to play for the first time in 1978 as a 16-year-old. First time I ever laid eyes on Chris Everett in person was at the baggage claim area at Savannah Airport. I played Martina. First time I ever played Martina in singles. First of 40 meetings with uh, at this tournament. And I just have so many fond memories as a player. And you know, in the last 20 years, mostly as a broadcaster. And I'm really, really happy that uh, to be a part of the Tennis Channel family since last June and um, to be able to come back to this tournament and help them celebrate their 50th is, is a great part of my year. So that's how different it was back then. You didn't really get to meet the opposition until, like, baggage claim at the event, which, you know, we were, <laughs> we're, we're all, you know, obviously we're good thoughts up for Chris Everett and what she's going through. But I thought they were going to name it back then, looking at the history books, it was going to be the Chris Everett Invitational. Because that was like at the height of her reign of just winning it every year. Yeah, she won eight times. <laughs> and um, actually, the only clay court singles tournament I ever got to the finals was this tournament. And uh, I was one of her eight victims in the finals. Um, it was back in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for Chrissy, if she could have just given up one of her titles here, I could have had one singles championship on clay. But no, she. Uh, yeah. Can you believe it? One of the greatest, one of the greatest streaks in the history of our sport was Chris Everett winning 125 straight mm. on clay. And you're right; she's going through this. She's, she's. I think two thirds the way through her chemo treatment for stage one ovarian cancer, caught it really early, and she's been advocating everybody to uh, do all the screenings, all the testing uh, that you can do to you know, prevent major 
illnesses. And it looks like, you know, thankfully for her and her family and for tennis that uh, she caught it early. And we'll see her back in a couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just looking at, you know, the run of her in that in this tournament, you, you took five games off of her, which doesn't sound like much, but for her finals, that's better than, <laughs> that's better than half of the uh, half of her uh, wins. So you did better than Look most of the finals. Look how quickly. Look how quickly the internet works. I, my recollection, it was like six three six two. Yeah, look um, at that. Memory's still good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Not uh, good on other things. Oh, uh, before we get to this year's Charleston event, I do want to put a bow in Miami, the uh, end of the Sunshine Double. Uh, a lot of different storylines. A couple stars have arrived or in the process of arriving. On the women's side, uh, you know what we're going to talk about here, Pam Igas Fiontech, who wins the Sunshine Double plus Doha. And just going through the numbers, there's a lot to just marvel at. 17 straight wins, nine straight wins in straight sets. And uh, she's basically untouchable in finals. She doesn't give anything. And what's most impressive about this, Pam, is that she's doing it against the game's greats. These aren't 250 events. These aren't lower-level events, throwaway games in Rochester. These are the best players in the world, and she's making it look easy. I'm just so impressed with every, everything this 20-year-old is doing, being the first from Poland man or woman to be number one. And as you pointed out on Twitter, a true number one, she would have taken the mantle from Barty, even if she hadn't retired. This has just been unprecedented dominance by Spiontek. Yeah, it's it's really been quite the month for women's tennis when you think that Barty, who had been in the number one position for a few years throughout all of the pandemic, and she decided to retire early, retire while holding two of the four majors, doing what she did at Wimbledon last year and the Australian Open, her home major this year. You know, in some, some ways it made some sense, but it was also a surprise. But what I love about what Spiontech has done is that she has just instantly had to embrace a, her, the lofty position of seeing that single digit by her, by her uh, the one, by her ranking. And she's done it in such great style. You're right, with all the straight sets wins, beating quality opponents. You know, we knew she was special when she won Roland Garros without dropping a set in the Roland Garros that was played uh, in October, uh, a year and a half ago. We knew she was special, and then she kind of like, I thought she backed it up pretty well. Um, it's, hard to, it's hard to back it up to that kind of quality, but now it seems like she's even more comfortable with the idea that uh, she's the best in the game, so... And then we'll see what's in store, but she's entering her favorite surface play. So look out. She could probably extend that lead at number one. And then I'd like to see if her athleticism can make some adjustments and play pretty well on the grass courts too. Yeah, she's done it at Junior Wimbledon, so there's reason to be optimistic on all surfaces. And I mentioned liking everything about her, uh, the fact that you know, she said her playlist for her pregame music is a lot of old classic rock, Pink Floyd, ACDC. So she's an old soul and in a 20-year-old. In a and with that, I mean, there's something special, I think, Pam, about all, all the facets of her game are amazing. But the fact that there's something special about her in big matches, like you see that she gets better, similar to the all-time greats, the Chris Everett, the Serena Williams, Martinez, that she's raising her level when it matters most. Another one who did that uh, was Monica Sellis. Mm. Uh, Monica would do it in a way where she'd raise her level and hit the ball even harder and closer to the line. But you're right. When you see a young player's early record in finals, it really is an indicator 
um, of, of their future. Uh, and you could say the same a little bit about Osaka. Obviously, Osaka's having to reset some things, and mm-hmm. she's a few years older, and she's been through some difficulties um, that she's starting to talk about even more on the mental health side. But, you know, when you think about how Osaka played major finals, she's another one. So the fact that Osaka's starting to look like she's getting back into uh, a couple of U.S. Opens and a couple of Australians, that's kind of the tantalizing a future rivalry that yeah. we hope that it really is more fun when the game has some rivalries that can establish themselves. And we haven't had that in a while in women's tennis. Yeah, we talked about that last time, and I think you were, you know, on the forefront of it'd be nice to have some centralized power at the top and some good rivalries. And I agree, Naomi being back in business, losing that final the way she did is going to, you know, unfortunately put a bitter taste in in the event for her in the run, but it was a great run. She beat some big name players. I think in that final, Pam, she did some things tactically that she might not, you know, ever replicate again against Sviantec, but she ran into a buzzsaw. And I, and I love the fact with Naomi that she seems and is committed to the process, the season, going to some clay events and, and really enjoying tennis again. Cause that's what we've all missed from, from watching her play and just marveling at what she can do. Yeah, and I like that she spoke about in Miami that um, it took, I guess it took finally the incident in Indian Wells where she was derailed early in the match by a heckler, you know, got very emotional and wanted to do some unusual things like speak to the crowd in the middle of the match. Maybe that was the last straw that made her realize what her team's been trying to get her to realize for quite some time, that she really needed to see uh, a mental health expert and get some professional help um, because we all know that you can be physically as great a tennis player, you can have all the power in the world, you can be fast, but you know, if your mindset's injured, if you're you know, if you're not working as well mentally, um, then you're not gonna reach your potential. You're not gonna it's it's honestly it's it's like having a major injury if your if your mindset's not right. So it sounds like she's getting some help and that's fantastic. In fact she's willing to talk about it and share some things um, with the media, with the public, with her fans. It's good. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we also have the men's tournament, and uh, we've been gushing about him for a while, even before he won Miami, but Carlos Alcaraz, the arrival of you know a prodigy, uh, the next, next person up in any sport, it's always these seminal transcendent moments. But I'm curious, Pam, as someone that's played the game professionally, been covering it as a broadcaster and a commentator, studying the fields for so long, if you had to you know, pinpoint one thing at the top, what impresses you the most about what this kid is doing? Oh, one thing. Well, I guess I'll just tag on what I was just talking about. I think it's his, uh, his mental game is so mature for, I know he's, is he turned in 19 months his birthday? It's coming up yeah, soon. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's within the month. I know that it was, it's at one of these, I think it's during the Madrid tournament. So I think it's like early May. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's almost 19 years of age, but you, you mentioned how Sviantec's a bit of an old soul. I feel like the same thing with him. I feel like he's had uh, an incredible, a couple of really outstanding role models to look up to. Rafa Nadal, obviously from also from Spain, and the champion mindset, you know, work ethic that Nadal has shown. And then Juan Carlos Ferrero, who won a French Open, was such a well-respected, could have won a U.S. Open maybe. That was the year that uh, Roddick won it. So I think that he's really been like a sponge. Uh, plus he has the world of natural talent. But again, it takes that, it takes the mental side in order to bring it all together. And 
we see that with other players with tons and tons of talent, like Nick Kyrgios, but he doesn't have the mindset to be a champion. So, but Alcaraz obviously does. And it's really fun to see the rise of Carlos. And we just hope that Alcaraz can remain, you know, healthy. And because men's tennis is going to have huge transitions mm-hmm. in the coming couple of years. So to already kind of know, feel like we know who's going to be a staple. And he's got charisma. He has appeal across the globe already. So that's really a good sign for men's tennis. Yeah, this is like our first glimpse at that post-Big 3 world legitimately, and, and he's asserting himself right at the top. I, I don't know if you saw it, but you know, you mentioned Juan Carlos Ferrero and that relationship, and you know the video of you know Juan Carlos's father passed away recently, and he made that surprise trip to Miami, and just the reaction that Alcaraz, did you see that when he showed up in Miami, just the, the joy, and the, you know, it's like he's part of the family. Yes, I did. I mean, I saw it just as it played out. Um after the final and the emotions that spilled out. Obviously, when you go through a loss of a parent, you know, it's, it's such an emotional time. Uh, I don't know all the things that went on behind the scenes to make the decision to fly back, mm-hmm. but it was a great, great decision. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, you get conflicted, right? You're so you're, – you're still grieving the loss of your dad, and yet you see this player that you've been – in charge of and, and ushering towards the top of the men's game come through one of the biggest tour titles out there. And so it was, it was really lovely. See, we, look, we've seen a lot of emotions on the court from players, parents. I mean, it's an emotional time. It's like we're all just grinding away in, in the last couple of years to get, get through this difficult era for, for the yeah. planet. And, um, you know, it was, it was really nice to see that moment. Certainly was. Carlos Alcaraz continues on. Last thing on him. I mean, I just, I want to know if you've ever seen somebody successfully utilize so many drop shots. Because it's pretty, it's pretty startling <laughs> when you see it. Well, it's such a smart play in today's game, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's the, uh, it's the answer to when the return, when the baseliner, like what Medvedev has brought to the fore uh, in the last couple of years, but how far back uh, many players are playing, and we're seeing it also on the women's side here in Charleston. So the way to answer is with a great drop shot. So uh, I think it's really fun to see the tactical, some of the modern-day tactical adjustments that are being made. So the drop shot is the answer to uh, the fact that Medvedev can knock over a cameraman at the back of the court like he did at Cincinnati yeah. last yeah. year. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Tim Shriver here on Tennis Channel Inside In, uh, in transit to the Charleston Open as uh, we reach the uh, heavy-duty ending of that tournament. And uh, we mentioned how prestigious the event is, longest-running all-women's field in, on the WTA dating back to the early 70s. And uh, I, I heard I mean, I mean, heard you on the grounds. We were talking about this before, you and Tracy Austin doing the Q&A there with some players, and it was it was fun to see that environment and that new stadium and that, you know, big time feel that it has. I think it does bring out the best in a lot of these players. 
and we're starting to see it with the results as well. Uh, a lot of players have done well. Who stood out to you so far this tournament as really looking sharp in form as we start the clay court season? Oh, wow. Well, I actually feel like I'm going to be able to answer that question after quarterfinal day. Um, I've, I've been, you know, I feel like you mentioned the transition, what it takes, and uh, it, it's a difficult transition time. So I, I don't feel like anybody is, I don't think anybody ever looks at their best in the first few days that you're competing um, on a new surface for that time of year. But I feel like I started to see some better tennis yeah. uh, just yesterday. I thought Benchich played well to beat Keys. I love the way Anz Jabour uh, took control that match. Talk about somebody else who uses the drop shot really well. I think Bedosa is kind of an interesting one. She obviously wasn't at her best physically in Miami. But when you think about her 12 months, um, I think all these players, um, there's a couple that are going to be really impacted by all the weather delays. Um, I, I don't know how Magna Lynette is going to stand up today. Honestly, and she just looked after six sets of tennis yesterday, tough single sets. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know. Um, but 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 what I don't know whether or not the European players understand. I think the U.S. players do. And we've got Coco Vandaway, a great story, coming through as a lucky loser. Um, but the impact this tournament has is someone's going to come away with a, a great title, winner in 2022, the 50th anniversary of this tournament. Yeah. You mentioned Paul Bedosa. You mentioned a bunch of names, but I, would, I do want to mention Bedosa first. Uh, you, you said her 12 months. 12 months ago, she was outside the top 70 at this tournament, notched her first, I think, top 20 win ever over Belinda Benchich, who she's going to play today. So it really was the jumping off point in her career, obviously at number three in the world now and, and playing, you know, the best tennis of her life in these last 12 months. But I'm with you on Anj Jabor. It's just fun to watch. She utilizes the drop shot. She has variety. It seems like her game definitely frustrates other players. And, and as we know in tennis, different is good with Alcaraz and with some of these new players, a different style is good. So I think Anj Jabor is a pretty safe pick to play consistent, but we hadn't mentioned Belinda Bencic in a while, and that Miami Open run might have awoken something in her because it wasn't that long ago when she was throwing her hat in the race as one of the game's best players. Yeah, coming out of uh, winning the gold medal, I thought she had a chance to win 2021 U.S. Open, but then I, I just remember calling her match, and she lost on Armstrong, and she, she got kind of that emotional, that negative emotional side that can creep back in. Again, going back to the mindset, um, all these players, I think a lot of them are working on it, but it's kind of like you're, sometimes who you are and your your true spirit can come out, even if it's not the best of you. Yeah. And I think sometimes that happens with Belinda. What do you make of uh, another good week? It's been a topsy-turvy year, maybe a couple years for Amanda Anisimova. She's into the quarterfinals. She's playing well. I think... Everybody, and you would agree, the game has been there. The top-level tennis has been there. She's a semifinalist at Roland Garros, but she struggled a little bit with consistency. From what you saw, how was her form going into this clay season? Well, I think she's had a real resurgent year. Um, she's had some really unusual things happen, obviously. Uh, had that brief partnership with Darren Cahill. I think Darren was pretty impactful to get her start her year on the right track and then you know, they went their separate ways in Indian Wells. I think Darren explained it on his uh, Instagram post. And, you know, I think Anisimov has now moved moved onward, obviously. Um, but it was difficult, I think, at Indian, at Indian Wells to have that happen. 
Um, but I think her, she's another one though that uh, you look at her physical talent and her pedigree, and you just wonder: can the can she mature on the mental side? Can she have that growth mindset? And can she deal with? She's had to deal with a lot the last couple of years with the loss of her father. COVID, I think, really hurt some younger players who maybe didn't have some life experiences and just sort of understand this one day at a time we can get through this. Uh, and she's on the, think, as a, as a player, but also on the comeback trail mentally. Um, so I'll be looking, you know, Coco Mendeway is a tough, pretty <laughs> competitor yeah. who can do a little bit of gamesmanship. And I'm not looking forward to that match tonight because I think it brings uh, the best of contrasting styles. And that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, Coco, it's been a great story. All she's been through in, in now just still 30 years old, it's been, a, it's been a long run for her. You mentioned it being a lucky loser, and she's won three straight, three-set matches. So showing that she has the stamina, too, I think that was a question in the back of people's minds. But, you know, that win yesterday over Jesse Pagula was a heavy, heavy match, and I was uh, very impressed with her. It's a good story, and, you know, this could be the jumping-off point that she looks for. Yeah, I think um, everyone wants to see Coco come back. She's uh, obviously a two-time major semifinalist, won majors and doubles, and and also so fascinating when you think about her family's history in sports uh, with the basketball and, and the volleyball. And I, I just want her to be able to be healthy for a long enough period of time to feel like she has another run at it because – I loved when she was playing her best tennis and she was getting to that U.S. Open, that all-women's semifinal in the U.S. Open when Sloane Stevens beat Maddie. He's in the finals and Venus was the other semifinalist. And I think it was Coco who lost to Venus in the year that Serena won her last major at the Australian. I'd like to see that kind of tennis come back. So maybe this can be the start of something. I mean, there's so funny how life on the tour works. She lost in qualifying, so I don't know whether it was Kudermatova pulling out. I'm not quite sure which player pulled out that enabled Coco Vandeweghe to get in. But these are the breaks yeah. that you get, and you need to take advantage of, and she has. She really has. Uh, it's been cool to see her put the work in and her hard work, with some luck, obviously, but, but her hard work pay off. Uh, on the flip side, where are we at now? I don't think it's a good place, but where are we at now with Sabalenka's serve? Pam, I have to bring this up because uh, we're at two matches, 18 double faults. That was her Charleston Open. Uh, it, it, it's not good. And uh, I'm, I'm just fascinated by it more than anything because this is an elite player with all-worldly power that you would think this is the one thing that she can improve and can work on. And it seems very mental. Maybe you have other insight if it's maybe more of a technical thing from what you've seen, but... Sabalenka's serve is uh, is not good, and it's becoming more of an issue as we go on in this season. Yes, uh, the good news for her is uh, compared to what it was in the lead up to the Australian Open, it's actually yeah. greatly improved. It's still pretty shaky. Um, she obviously has a case of the yip, um, which is a term that I guess golf started, but to me. It's the same premise as a second baseman like Chuck Knobloch or Steve Sachs who can't throw it to first base. They throw it into like row five of the stadium. Um, Rick Ankeel, a great pitcher who ended up not being able to hit it, you know, be able to pitch it anywhere close to the plate. You know, even sometimes you see a center in football, all of a sudden they can't even snap the ball like five feet on the shotgun to the quarterback. It goes all sideways. 
it happens in all sports. Um, it's obviously it's a weird anxiety thing. It's something that happens with her toss, but it looked like in Australia it was affected not only her left hand but her right and left hand, and um, it's really too bad. Look, other players. I mean, Sabatini to me left the sport early because of it. Dementieva lived with the yips throughout most of her career. Guillermo Corio could have won a French Open maybe without the yips. Um, so it can change tennis history. Um, but as far as Sabalenka, um, I don't know if she'll ever be able to totally shake it. Um, but time will tell. At least she hasn't given up. Because yeah. let me tell you, it, it, the yips can really make playing tennis miserable. I would say of all the sports, I mean, it, golf's kind of taken it as its own. But for tennis, I mean, if you have the yips on your serve, I mean, that is brutal. That's affecting you every time you, like, half the game, half the match, I should say. So, um, I don't know. I wish her the best in this, but it's it's crazy. And, and it's happened, you know, you wonder when this started to happen. Was it a mental thing of her starting to get success, the pressure of being the top seed at some of these tournaments? But this, is, this isn't good. We, we wish her the best with that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wrapping up here with Pam Shriver on Tennis Channel Inside In. We're, uh, we're getting ready for uh, the start of the red clay season, and I want to end with this. Uh, Monte Carlos coming up this week. Uh, no Nadal, unfortunately. Berrettini also out with an injury. They're going to miss some time in the clay court season. But we're going to get Djokovic back, and uh, we're going to get him back in a different tennis landscape. I wonder, Pam, going into this, I mean, this could be the rest versus rust debate. This is a second home for him. This is a place where he's done well in the past, but he just hasn't played tennis. So what should we expect? What should we reasonably expect from the return of Nole to the courts? Well, first off, uh, certainly excited that he's, that he's able to play. And then it looks like the worst of uh, the pandemic, as far as it hurts unvaccinated uh, people, it looks like for him, it's going to be easier um, the rest of the year. And that's, that's a good thing. Um, we don't want tennis history changed because of his philosophy about uh, vaccines or this particular vaccine. Um, I expect him to be anywhere from really rusty, and if he has the wrong draw, lose early, to win the tournament. <laughs> so in <laughs> other words, I don't quite know what to expect. There, there's nobody that I know. Um, I guess maybe an, uh, Ash Barty would be the closest one. Um, Serena in her prime, Roger occasionally. And I guess Novak can fit that profile, right? Players who can take such a long period of time off and then get right back at it and win. So it's possible. Um, it might take him a couple of tournaments, but I think he's going to have some fire in his belly and he's going to try and get uh, match Nadal at 21 sooner than later. I think it's a very good comparison to the Serena Williams of of just having to play your way into form after not having reps. And he lost to Dan Evans early last year in this tournament. So will he be able to play his way into form? I think those early matches might, in a weird way, be a tough one for him. But I want to see him play the best and be back in the mix and you know throw his hat in the race. It's a fun time for tennis, and I think just having him back is a good thing. And 
all the storylines we've had, right? I guess we can end with this. The storylines have been amazing for tennis. Three months in, a quarter of the way through, and I feel like tennis is as talked about and as confusing in a lot of ways as any. It's been a very interesting time for the game. Yeah, it, it certainly has been. Um, I think it's a time of, as we said, transition, both the men's and the women's side. Uh, I love the fact we have this great mix of um, – all-time great champions. We've got big questions like, will Serena come back? She got, kind of had a little uh, comment or two yesterday that gave us the hope, but I'm not sure whether or not that's uh, for real because, you know, sometimes you have contracts and various things that say, you know, if you're, if you're out a year, then they maybe get downsized. Who knows? There could be some financial reasons to give a little hope. I haven't seen her much uh, posting anything from training or on a practice court like she used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you know, not just Serena. It's just sort of a time we wonder if Federer is going to come back and play. At the same time, we'll talk about Alcaraz and Spiontek. So the ten- tennis will always be in great, great hands with a new uh, generation of champions and look forward to seeing who can really step up consistently. Pam Shriver, thank you as always for joining the Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, we'll be watching the uh, Charleston Open. I think you might. Is there reports true that you're going to be broadcasting in an Orioles jersey uh, tonight during the game? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Listen, I always love talking tennis with you and uh, just hope everybody continues to watch Tennis Channel as much as possible because this is where you uh, stay to get up to date to the minute of what's happening in tennis. Thank you, Pam Shriver, for joining Tennis Channel Inside In. We're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. We'll be back next week. Recap Charleston. Talk Monte Carlo. We're already on the road to Roland Garros. It's going to be fun. For Pam Shriver, I am Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.